0: Turn your Bibles now to the prophecy of Jeremiah. Before we resume our series in Jeremiah 31, we will read chapter 3 in its entirety, and then I'll ask you to turn to Jeremiah 31. Brothers and sisters, this is the Word of God. They say, if a man put away his wife, and she go from him and become another man's, shall he return unto her again? Shall not that land be greatly polluted? But thou hast played the harlot with many lovers, yet return again to me, saith the Lord. Lift up thine eyes unto the high places, and see where thou hast not been laid with, with. in the ways hast thou sat for them as the Arabian in the wilderness, and thou hast polluted the land with thy whoredoms and with thy wickedness. Therefore the showers have been withholden, and there hath been no latter rain, and thou hadst a whore's forehead, thou refusest to be ashamed. Wilt thou not from this time cry unto me, my Father, thou art the guide of my youth? Will he reserve his anger forever? Will he keep it to the end? Behold, thou hast spoken and done evil things as thou couldest. The Lord said also unto me in the days of Josiah the king, Hast thou seen that that which backsliding Israel hath done? She has gone up upon every high mountain and upon every green tree, and there there hath played the harlot. And I say, after she had done all these things, turn thou unto me. But she returned not. And her treacherous sister Judah saw it. And I saw when for all the causes whereby backsliding Israel committed adultery, I had put her away and given her a bill of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah feared not and went and played the harlot also. And it came to pass through the lightness of her whoredom that she defiled the land and committed adultery with stones and with stocks. And yet for all this, her treacherous sister Judah hath not turned unto me with her whole heart, but feignedly saith the Lord. And the Lord said unto me, The backsliding Israel hath justified herself more than treacherous Judah. Go and proclaim these words toward the north and say, Return thou backsliding Israel, saith the Lord, and I will not cause mine anger to fall upon you. For I am merciful, saith the Lord, and I will not keep anger forever. Only acknowledge thine iniquity that thou hast transgressed against the Lord thy God and hast scattered thy ways to the strangers Under every green tree, and ye have not obeyed my voice, saith the Lord. Turn, O backsliding children, saith the Lord, for I am married unto you, and I will take you one of a city and two of a family, and I will bring you to Zion. And I will give you pastors according to mine heart, which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. And it shall come to pass, when ye be multiplied and increased in the land in those days, saith the Lord, they shall say no more, the ark of the covenant of the Lord. Neither shall it come to mind, neither shall they remember it, neither shall they visit it, neither shall that be done any more. At that time they shall call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord, and all the nations shall be gathered unto it. To the name of the Lord, to Jerusalem, neither shall they walk any more after the imagination of their evil heart. In those days, the house of Judah shall walk with the house of Israel. And they shall come together out of the land of the north to the land that I have given for an inheritance unto your fathers. But I said, How shall I put thee among the children and give thee a pleasant land, a goodly heritage of the hosts of nations?' And I said, Thou shalt call me my father, and shalt not turn away from me. Surely as a wife treacherously departeth from her husband, so have ye dealt treacherously with me, O house of Israel, saith the Lord. A voice was heard upon the high places, weeping and supplications of the children of Israel. For they have perverted their way, and they have forgotten the Lord their God. Return, ye backsliding children, and I will heal your backslidings. Behold, we come unto thee, for thou art the Lord our God. Truly in vain is salvation hoped for from the hills and from the multitude of mountains. Truly in the Lord our God is the salvation of Israel. For shame hath devoured the labor of our fathers from our youth, their flocks and their herds, their sons and their daughters while we lie down in our shame, and our confusion covereth us. For we have sinned against the Lord our God, we and our fathers, from our youth even unto this day, and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God. Now if you turn to the 31st chapter of this prophecy. Begin reading at verse seven. For thus saith the Lord, sing with gladness for Jacob, and shout among the chief of the nations, publish ye, praise ye, and say, O Lord, save thy people, the remnant of Israel. Behold, I will bring them from the north country, and gather them from the coasts of the earth, and with them the blind and the lame, the woman with child, and her that travaileth with child together. A great company shall return thither. They shall come with weeping, and with supplications will I lead them. I will cause them to walk by the rivers of waters in a straight way, wherein they shall not stumble, for I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Amen. just before we go to prayer just one announcement Um, the pastors who are our assigned church visitors are coming to visit us on uh, Monday afternoon and the information should be in your bulletin following that will be our regular consistory meeting and so we pray for the Lord's blessing upon that meeting and this time let us come before the Lord in prayer let us pray O great Jehovah God, our righteousness, our salvation, our only hope in time of trouble. As we have heard of the words of your prophet, no, indeed the words of your spirit, the words of God himself, inspired and preserved on the pages of Holy Scripture, read in our hearing. We are cut in our hearts that we, like Israel of old, have so often back slidden from the great calling wherewith we are called. You've called us unto glory, unto grace, unto a sense of your loving favour. And yet even after grace, and even after laying hold of Christ in faith, how often, O oh Lord, have we wandered in our own way as sheep without a shepherd. Well oh, we are a stubborn hard-hearted and stiff-necked people so prone even now to transgress your holy laws and commandments. Indeed, your word speaks truly, cursed cursed is everyone who continues not in all things written in the book of the law to do them. And so it is, O Lord, though we are bound to keep the law, we have failed and we have transgressed this sacred deposit of your will, truth, and righteousness. By the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified, for we indeed cannot take away even one of our sins through our repentance or through our holiness or through our obedience. But the word comes nigh unto us. The just shall live by faith, there are a just people justified in christ jesus for they are united as branches to the vine as the body to the head as needy sinners joined unto a perfect mediator and redeemer so there is a word of hope this morning there is a word of grace which you have uttered in your sacred gospel that truly Salvation is found with you. May it please you, O Lord, to stir in our hearts all the graces of those who live and die happily at crushing knowledge of our sins and miseries and how we are worthy of the fires of hell in ourselves. That true joy of the deliverance from all of our sins through the blood and righteousness of Jesus Christ received in faith that true gratitude and thankfulness for our redemption, whereby we seek to walk blamelessly in this crooked and perverse generation. May it please you, O Lord, that as we do gather together, according to your covenant promises and according to the infallible uh, commands of Scripture, that you would forsake us not, that you would not pass us by that we would not be permitted to quench your Holy Spirit. But rather, O Lord, you would visit us in your power and strength. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, manifesting your grace and glory. Grant, O Lord, that it would be a sweet time in your house among your people, that indeed we would say it was good to be in the house of the Lord. It was good to hear a voice from our King and Lord. It was good to catch a glimpse of our Savior's character, works, and person. May it please you that each one of us, as we either gather here or listen in at home, that those who seek to worship you with heavy burdens and sorrows would find these lifted, whether from physical afflictions and infirmities and sickness whether through spiritual anguish and sorrows and griefs, whether through anxieties and anxious cares. Oh, you can minister consolation, O great God. There is nothing too hard for you, for your arm is not shortened that it cannot save. Indeed, at no time are you absent from us. And your Son has pledged unto us, Lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. We plead that you would be with Martha Dyer, and Rosa Hessel, and Anna van Meplenschepping, and Jane van and Al Sykema. And oh, may it please you, O Lord, that you would heal them abundantly, and you would also grant unto them that comfort and peace, that knowing that even the, ch- the afflictions of this present evil age are not worthy to be compared with that eternal weight of glory. Moreover, pray that you would be with the Choi family and that you would minister unto Unjun and Daniel, to Jeanne and Jeon and Brianna. Will you bless this precious family abundantly with all that they stand in need of, comfort and help them, we plead. And Moreover, do pray that you would be with the Vimeplen-Shopping family as... They are worshiping in New Jersey this Lord's Day. Grant them continued traveling mercies as they return tomorrow morning. We also pray that you would minister blessing and refreshment to Elder Wren as he rests from his labors on this vacation. We pray that you would help him as our elder, together with our Deacon Josh Monster and the minister of this congregation, that all together they would serve you acceptably and in godly fear. Pray for our church visitors as they come to um, on their regular visit in order to ensure that all is well, in order to uh, give and to hear counsel, that in these things, O Lord, you would bless it unto the good of your church and to the glory of your name. May it please you that wherever your servants suffer for righteousness' sake, whether through persecution within... Uh, state, or church, or culture, or family, O Lord, will you help such as these. I also do pray for your ancient people Israel, pleading, Lord, that in the midst of the bloodshed and slaughter, that you would yet remember your promise unto their fathers and draw them back unto yourself with cords of love. May it please you that they would be turned unto the Lord Jesus Christ, and that they would turn from their backslidings. We also pray for the Palestinian people in their poverty and their affliction and their suffering. May it please you, O Lord, to liberate them from the bondage of their false religion. And we will also bless the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ, whether in Israel or Palestine, whether Jew or Gentile, that your Church in all things may be preserved and be sanctified. May it please you, O Lord, that throughout this world that your Church would prosper, that... There would be reformation from the defilements of corruptions to worship and doctrine. May it please you, O Lord, there would be revival and a power of your spirit to turn many unto the God of their fathers. May it please you that many would be saved also in this generation. Grant your help now, O Lord. We need your power and might in order that we would do anything spiritual, in order that even our listening and preaching of the word of God would not be a vain exercise, but tend unto our sanctification and growth in grace. Grant this, for it is our heart's desire, and we pray it all in the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. At this time, let us uh, sing from Psalter uh, 280, stanzas one to four. Of a congregation of the Lord when the Apostle Paul was contending for the gospel of grace against damnable errors in the book of Galatians. In the fourth chapter of that great epistle, he makes a most interesting argument centering upon the history of the family of Abraham. And I'm sure you know how that story goes, how it was that Abraham had a wife named Sarah, to whom the Lord had promised to give the chosen seed, Isaac. But being old and barren, Abraham and Sarah, they chose a slave girl by the name of Hagar, and gave her to be a second wife unto Abram and And to her was born Ishmael. All this history, the Apostle Paul reflects upon, considering that one of these children, Isaac, was the son of promise, and the other was the son of flesh. One, a miraculous child, through the power of a miraculous work of the Lord, the other was an ordinary child that was the result of a, uh, a sinful relationship. He reflects upon this, and in verse 24, he says, this is an allegory, this is a picture and a window into this principle which he unfolds. He says in verse 25, For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and answereth, To Jerusalem which now is and is in bondage with her children but Jerusalem which is above is free which is the mother of us all so he speaks in that place about his own countrymen according to the flesh the nation of Israel And how it was that they were in spiritual bondage, having rejected their Lord and Messiah. And Likewise, those who were members of the true church of Jesus Christ by faith, well, they are described here as having the Jerusalem, which is above, as their mother. He goes on in verse 27, For it is written, Rejoice, thou barren that bearest not. Break forth and cry, thou that the travailest not. For the desolate hath more, many more children than she which hath an husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. But as then he was born after the flesh persecuteth him That was born after the Spirit, even so it is now. You see, in those days, those who were followers of Jesus were persecuted by the Jewish majority as well as the Jewish leaders. Whether Jew or Gentile, they were seen as enemies of the people for following this Christ. And so Paul takes this opportunity to draw a distinction, you see, a distinction between the seed or the children of the flesh and the children or seed of the spirit. The seed of the flesh and the seed of the spirit. One are those who are descended from Abraham by a natural principle of generation. They are children of that lineage. And the other... Are those who, whether Jew or Gentile, are born again by the Spirit of God and have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Let me just reference two other texts that would refer to this in the previous chapter of Galatians, chapter 3, verse 27 For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You see, whether Jew or Gentile, you are Abraham's spiritual seed. If you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Likewise, in Romans, the second chapter, verse 22. Uh, eight, For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, and not of the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. Now, of course, our primary interest, as for the most part Gentile, Uh, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, when we come to the scriptures, it is concerned with the spiritual seed. Are we numbered among those who are true believers in Christ? Are we walking according to the spirit? Are we seeking to bring as many as we can, whether Jew or Gentile, into the family of faith? But I do put to you that where we come to some portions of Scripture, indeed perhaps the majority of Scripture, we do well to regard that the Scriptures come to us in the form of the history of that ancient people of Israel, that seed according to the flesh, not, of course, to deny that always among that Israel there was the true Israel of God, those who were elect according to the promise and had faith in the Messiah who was to come. But we still recognize, do we not, that this prophecy of Jeremiah comes to us from a Jewish preacher, a Jewish prophet, and he has a context, the ancient kingdom of Judah. And the history that is unfolding here, it certainly bears upon this matter of the seed according to the flesh. And last time we were in Jeremiah 31, working as we are through each verse of this very important chapter of the new covenant, prophesying as it does the era of church history in which we live, we have been... Seeking to understand what is it that is being spoken of here? Where is the fulfillment of these things to be found? And you talk to one uh, group of Christians and they say, Well, this is all fulfilled in the seed according to the flesh. Is it not prophesied in Romans 11 and other places that in one day all Israel shall be saved and brought back into? the gracious covenant and church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they would interpret this chapter in this way. Interesting, even the great uh, reformed theologian Wilhelmus Obrackel, whom Dr. Beakey uh, regards as his most famous, his favorite book, apart from the Bible. If you read him on Jeremiah 31, that's how he takes even the, the very famous verses of the New Covenant, speaking about the conversion of the Jews there are others who would say, well, is it not the case that this chapter is quoted prominently in the book of Hebrews in the 8th and the 10th chapters and applied to the Israel according to the spirit, to the spiritual seed of Abram, Abraham. So shouldn't we, therefore, interpret all these things in light of the spiritual realities of the new covenant church? And if you've been paying attention as I've been working through this uh, chapter, what I've been encouraging you to do is to see that there's a compatibility between these two principles. That Israel as the exemplary nation, which God has chosen to work in throughout history, it is a type, it is a picture of the spiritual realities that God works in his true elect people, whether Jew or Gentile, and particularly in the new covenant era in which we live. And so What I'm arguing for this interpretation of this chapter is that there's a compatibility between the two. And so if we consider the verse that we considered last time, there in verse 7, For thus saith the Lord, sing with gladness for Jacob, and shout among the chief of the nations, publish ye, praise ye, and say, O Lord, save thy people, the remnant of Israel." What I sought to demonstrate is that where it refers to the nations, the Goyim, the Gentiles, on the one hand, and Israel on the other. And where we understand this is a reference to the Song of Moses in the book of Deuteronomy. And we see Paul picking it up in Romans that the distinction between Jew and Gentile is significant. And it buttresses the overall argument, which I've been making, that is, the salvation of the Jews is is entailed here, not that it comprehends all that is important in this prophecy, but that it is an important facet. And you'll notice, I trust, that verses seven, eight, nine—they they really go together. They begin a new uh, series of statements, beginning with the word "For thus saith the Lord." That right in verse seven and. Verse 8 takes that up. Behold, I will bring them from the north country and gather them from the coasts of the earth. And with them the blind and the lame, the woman with child and her that travaileth with child. Together a great company shall return thither. This is our text. For this morning, we pray for the Lord's blessing as we seek to unfold the meaning of Scripture in this matter, that we may rightly divide the word of truth. And we will th- consider this theme together, the people of God gathered, the people of God gathered. And I hope to show you a powerful God and a weak people, a powerful God and a weak people, considered under this theme of the people of God gathered. Well, first... A powerful God. Certainly this verse, you will agree with me. It wants to draw our attention, direct us to something that the Lord is doing. Behold, it says, this is important, must be paid attention to. I will bring them from the north country and gather them from the coasts of the earth. God is going to do a great and mighty work, you see. He is going to gather his people. Surely this would have been most welcome news to the original audience of Jeremiah. As Jeremiah was preaching these things, writing these things, the immediate context was the coming exile into that north country of Babylon, And we know that these words sustain the faith of the Lord's elect, not only during the prelude to that exile, but during the exile and ever since. All true believers in the covenant promises of God have taken comfort from this promise of God. He will gather. He will gather. And Jeremiah is, of course, a huge book, a wonderful book, but sometimes... Picking up on these themes can be hard if you're not regularly reading through it. So let me give you a couple references to this same uh, sort of statement of the gathering from the north country by the mighty work of God. Jeremiah 16 and verse 14. Therefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that it shall no more be said, The Lord liveth that brought up the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, But the Lord liveth that brought up the children from the land of the north and from the lands whither he had driven them. And I will bring them again into their land, which I gave unto their fathers. So as important as it was that the people of God be redeemed from Israel. And how much that, the, much of the Bible focuses upon that great event of passing through the Red Sea and escaping uh, the judgments of God upon Pharaoh and Egypt. As important as that was, he's saying this will be much more important. The gathering of the people after their exile in the north. And you notice all the lands, whither he had driven them. And there's a similar language in our verse, isn't it? I will bring them from the north country and gather them from the coasts of the earth. So the idea of the coasts of the earth and wherever i drive them, it's sort of an inclusive statement. Wherever else my people are driven, then they will be brought back. And you remember, of course, that when we began this series through Jeremiah 31... We did one uh, sermon, not many sermons, but just one on the chapter preceding. For really, they go together closely. They're all included in this section, which is traditionally called the Book of Comfort. And that goes from chapter 30 to 33. But there's a couple references to the same act of God in chapter 30, where the immediate context, again, is still the New Covenant. Jeremiah 30 and verse 3. For lo, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will bring again the captivity of my people, Israel and Judah, saith the Lord, and I will cause them to return to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall possess it. So that's in the very same section that we're talking about here. And you notice the similar language used. Bring them again from the captivity and just like the other texts we read, the emphasis is upon the land where are they gathered. To they're gathered to the land. Now, of course, there was a very prominent entry into the promised land after the exile. And even children, I'm sure, you know this in the days of Ezra, Nehemiah, Zerubbabel, and the high priest. Joshua, who stood before the Lord in filthy garments, you remember, and was clothed with those rich garments from the angel of the Lord. Well, this uh, restoration, where they're brought from captivity to the promised land, it was a remarkable event. Indeed, you had a great bulk of the southern kingdom of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin, some of the tribe of Levi, And a very small group of all the other uh, nations. But you notice that in Jeremiah 30, verse 3, in the same section as our verse, what it says is, I will bring again the captivity of my people Israel and Judah. So it has been observed that it doesn't seem overly fitting that this uh, restoration in the days of Nehemiah and Ezra would be that which is prophesied because Israel, the northern kingdom, for the most part, was not brought back to the land. We also notice in chapter 30 and verse 9 that this great work of God is in connection with the coming of the Messiah. So in chapter 30 and verse 9, but they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up unto them. So we read the... um, the Jewish commentators, and we read the Christian commentators, and there's generally consensus that this is the normal way in which the prophets speak about the Messiah. They refer to him as David because he's the true son of David. And, of course, Christians understand that was fulfilled gloriously in the virgin birth of our Savior. And so whatever this is, this gathering together, as Jeremiah says, to the land, it's in connection with the work of the Lord Jesus Christ in the shadow of his coming and of his work. Now I find Dr. Gill to be helpful as a commentator generally, so maybe you'd want to know what he says about some of these uh, things. He says in reference to chapter 30 and verse three, that this cannot be understood of their return from the Babylonian captivity, not the one under Ezra and um, Zerubbabel, and so forth. For only Judah and Benjamin returned from thence, and though there were some few of the other tribes that came with them, especially of the tribe of Levi, yet not sufficient to answer to so great a prophecy as this. How does he understand it? Well, this is what he says. This refers to the land of Canaan, given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which shall be again... Uh, by the Jews, their posterity. For without that, the Jews, upon their call and conversion, shall return to their own land in a literal sense. I see not how we can understand this in many other prophecies. So you understand his argument. He's saying, well, there's a lot here. We have certainly some texts that seem to refer not only to the Israel according to the Spirit which indeed inherits the whole world of the new heavens and the new earth, and that as a spiritual principle. We have also texts like this section which seem to refer to the, the, the people according to the flesh, so not just the spirit, but the flesh. Moreover, there are things that seem to refer to a return to the land and a return that doesn't seem to correspond to the days of Ezra and Nehemiah. And so what is the explanation comes to? Well, when the Jews are converted and all Israel is saved and brought into the church, as Romans 11 teaches, then the idea is that they will also be restored to their land. And I dwell upon this argument because I was contacted by another FRC pastor who said that in his church, some of these things are, are deeply concerning to some of the people he's pastoring. Because we're seeing in the news, well, there's all this fighting observed in the, the nation of Israel, that land, and people who have certainly some connection to the posterity of Abraham, and there's this conflict, there's this warfare taking place, and largely over the land. I was listening to a podcast where you had one very strong uh, supporter of the um, of the nation of Israel, the nation state of Israel, and on the other hand, a strong supporter of the rights of Palestinians. And they went over the huge history of the 20th century, how so much has been taken up with this concern about who owns the land. And so there's historical injustices that are at play, and there's, there's treaties, and, and there's uh, um, arrangements as to... owns the land, and many people are concerned about it. We see it here in Canada, don't we? Even in our major cities, people marching and protesting in favor of one side or another, people who have prominent voices speaking out, even in strong language, if you don't have the same perspective on what's happening in the Middle East, and sometimes even in the context of the church, people saying, well, in light of verses like this, surely we have to line up with one side or the other. And I want to argue for you, argue for you that whatever the Lord is doing in the present nation state of Israel, that it is not the fulfillment of this text. Certainly it may, in the Lord's grace and blessing, lead to the fulfillment, but it cannot be the fulfillment. Remember, Dr. Gill says this is in connection to their conversion unto the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they are restored unto the land. And we understand, of course that the Jewish religion, which the great number of the people of Israel follow, whether in a conservative or a liberal form, is a gross blasphemy, for it altogether rejects the Savior Jesus Christ, who is the beloved of the Father. And the Bible teaches us very plainly, if you have no love for the Lord Jesus Christ, you are accursed. Moreover, we see other passages in Jeremiah in this connection. And there is this strong emphasis upon the two going together. The blessings of the land and the blessings of grace found by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We look in Jeremiah 23, verse 5, which I'll ask you to turn. It's a bit of a longer passage, but... It's good that you you see what I'm referring to here. Jeremiah 23 in verse 5. Very similar language. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper, and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. In his days Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely And this Is his name whereby he shall be called the Lord our righteousness. So this son of David is referred to as Jehovah, the Lord, the Lord our righteousness. And where he comes, there is peace, there is justice. Israel will dwell safely, it says. And then we read verse 7 Therefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that they shall no more say, The Lord liveth which brought up our children out of Israel, out of the land of Egypt, similar to the other passage we read. And then verse 8, But the Lord liveth, which brought up and which led the seed of the house of Israel out from the north country, and from all the countries whither I have driven them. And there's the next word, words. And they shall dwell in their own land. So I would urge you, brothers, even if this has not been your historical perspective, to consider this. There is a reference to the land. And if someone wants to speak about the land of Palestine in this connection, we ought not to dismiss them out of hand. um, The majority report among the Puritans was indeed that there is a, uh, a promise that is abiding to the people. But you notice it's always in connection with spiritual blessings, with their conversion unto the gospel of grace, not in their persistent hardening and rejecting of the gospel. Listen to what Dr. Gill says about uh, that verse we just read, which had its accomplishment at their return from the Babylonian captivity and will be more fully accomplished in the latter day when the Jews shall be converted and return to their own land. So in that text, at least, maybe a partial fulfillment in the days of Nehemiah, but as you can see, there are reasons to take it as a future prophecy. But what of that verse that I, I had you read from Jeremiah 3 that we all read together, doesn't that also help us understand how to rightly divide the word of truth on this? I read Jeremiah chapter 3, and there was all of this strong language convicting the people of their sin, of their whoredoms, of their blasphemies, worshiping idols in the high places, serving strange gods and so forth. And the pleadings, return, return, O people Israel. And they will not return. Can we really imagine that The purpose of God concerning his ancient people, the Jews, well, that that would be satisfied if they just were in a piece of geography, enjoying temporal blessings. And all the while, their hearts are just as far from God. It says, they have forgotten the Lord their God. Surely this cannot be uh, the kind of thing that we're talking about in the fulfillment of the new covenant. Notice That in that same chapter of Jeremiah 3, verse 13, this is what he says. Only acknowledge thine iniquity. Acknowledge your iniquity that thou hast transgressed against the Lord thy God and hast scattered thy ways to the strangers under every green tree. And ye have not obeyed my voice, saith the Lord. So after they're scattered, after they're judged, he says, you must acknowledge it. You must acknowledge it. I ask you, have the nation of Israel, have they acknowledged their sin in crucifying the Lord Jesus Christ and rejecting him? Have they acknowledged their sins in their polluted worship? Have they acknowledged all the other sins which could be named the promotion of homosexuality within the nation of Israel? Another Things which even uh, honest Jewish people will acknowledge have been perpetuated against the Palestinians unjustly. There are sins that are not acknowledged. And then verse 14 of that same chapter, chapter 3, "'Turn, O backsliding children, saith the Lord, for I am married unto you, and I will take you one of a city and two of a family, and I will bring you to Zion, and I will give you pastors according to mine heart.'" Which shall feed you with knowledge and with understanding. And those are the two things brought together, right? There's the gathering of the dispersed, this family here, that per- family there, to the land of Israel. But it's not just so that they can continue in their sin and idolatry. No, it's joined with this I will give you pastors according to mine heart, which shall feed you with knowledge. And understanding. You know how we will know that these things are fulfilled in the land of Israel? We will know it because that people will not have an appetite or a tolerance for the false teachers of the rabbis which blaspheme and hate the Lord Jesus Christ. No, these mouths will be silenced. And in their place will come the sweet sound of the gospel of salvation. As they delight to hear of Christ Jesus, he who is crucified for needy sinners like them. They will love to hear of his lordship, his kingship, his word and his ways. And all through these pastors, spiritual teachers and guardians of them after. God's own heart who will give true knowledge and understanding, not the lies of the devil. These are the things we expect and these are the things we hope for. And how is it that we could be aligned with and give our unquestioning loyalty to a people that are yet hardening their heart against such gracious overtures? So I was so thankful at the pastor's colloquium. This past week, the Free Reform Pastors, we got together and as we prayed, we prayed for Israel. We prayed for that ancient people and we prayed, oh Lord, will you call them with your holy call? and Will you save them through the power of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? We prayed for the Palestinians. And we prayed that there would be safety, there would be protection, that there would be Their hopes realized as well, but most of all, we also prayed for the church, for the cause of Christ, the precious spiritual seed of Abraham, whether Jew or Gentile. Well, this is our primary loyalty, is it not always, always, ultimately to the lordship of Christ in all things. And so we recognize injustice wherever it is. We, we look at the situation in Palestine and we say there must be fair dealings. There must be even scales. There must be honesty. And wherever there is injustice, wherever there is righteousness, wherever there is the valid protection of your people from slaughter, this is to be celebrated. Wherever there has been a transgression of the law of God, Also, as that includes a just war, this is likewise to be condemned. We have no sympathy whatsoever for terrorists who massacre innocent children, nor do we have any sympathy for the murder of children and uh, others from other means as well. We recognize that wars must sometimes be fought, and they must be fought according to biblical truth. But in all this, brothers and sisters, let us be discerning. Let's weigh these things according to the word of God. And in light of his great and powerful works yet to come, I cannot believe that all these things have already come to pass. I cannot believe that these things are not yet waiting us in a glorious future. Shall we not follow that principle that we saw from verse 8 where the people prayed fervently among the nations. I'm um, sorry, verse 7. O Lord, save thy people, the remnant of Israel. Well, we come also to a weak people. And that's prominent in this verse as well. Not only a powerful God, but a weak people. We read here in verse 8. Behold, I will bring them From the north country, and gather them from the coasts of the earth, and with them the blind and the lame, the woman with child, and her that travaileth with child together, a great company shall return thither. And here we see how there's a great fittingness, whether you see the literal fulfillment or the spiritual fulfillment in this, whether the seed of the flesh or the seed of the spirit. In both cases, is there not a great multitude? That one man, Abram, who was too old even to have even a single natural child with his wife, Sarah, indeed, he now has descendants not only in the nation of Israel, but throughout many nations. Uh, Many of the Arabs trace their lineage back to him and, and so forth through Ishmael. Natural descendants, yes, but also spiritual descendants. so Abram looked up and God told him, so shall your seed be as the stars of the sky. An infinite number of spiritual offspring through and in the Lord Jesus Christ as he works in our generation to gather and to call unto his gospel church, calling them out of darkness into his glorious light. A great company, we read, shall return thither. But of this great company, they are weak. They are weak. What do we have here? Well, there is the blind and the lame. There is this, child, this woman who's pregnant, another woman about to give birth. And these are examples. Even they will be regarded by the Lord. They will not be left out, but they themselves will be gathered together. I'm sure if you or someone you love is lame, they can't walk, if you or someone you love has problems seeing, you can't see. Or if you or someone you love has gone or is going through the, the burdens of pregnancy where a woman in that wonderful way is bringing new life into the world but feels so vulnerable, feels so sick, often has um, problems with emotions and other things as her, her whole body is transformed to make way for a new life. These are, these are the vulnerable. These are those without strength. Maybe a few have one or other of those infirmities and other people can't understand what it's like not to be able to walk, not be able to see good, not being able to use your body as as you desire. Well, maybe, maybe you feel a bit hard done by. Maybe even if you're a mother and you don't know if, other people understand the burdens of having these, these children and some of the spiritual trials that come with caring for them. Well, sometimes you can feel as so though others just don't understand. But here's the Lord, and he cares. He cares. As he works this great work, he has regard even for, for these, the most vulnerable, the most weak. I don't think at all the, the literal of fulfillment of this in, in history will entail that the blind can simply walk um, without any uh, difficulty seeing or that the the lame will will be able to get up and walk we know the lord can do that but i think it's much more of the principle that god will ensure that they are gathered together even those who don't have the strength because those of this great company through his grace and direction will help them all be gathered into the land so that's the the seed according to the flesh. But if we would look at this also according to the seed, according to the spirit, don't we see what great spiritual infirmities we all have every day. We are spiritually blind by nature. We cannot see the glories of Christ. We are spiritually lame. And by nature, we cannot come unto Christ. Even... Where the glory begins to work and there's the first stirrings within of spiritual life so that as it were christ is to be born within us we feel as often beset by great temptations fears and doubts concerning ourself perhaps in one of all these ways you can relate to these things and i tell you the lord jesus christ will not forget you you may think that all others have forgotten you you may think that there is no hope for you, but here is the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ, this one we read in Isaiah's prophecy, he will not break that bruised reed, he will not quench that smoking flax, no. Even the smallest and the weakest child of his love, they will be secured by him. And so likewise as well. As we seek to exemplify this character of Christ in ourselves, we read from First Thessalonians chapter five and first first verse fourteen. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble minded, support the weak. Support the weak. Be patient toward all men. And so those who are weak, that have a special place in the heart of God and also of his people. So I trust that Not only have we come to understand this text better by God's grace, but also may we apply the truths within it to pray, to serve, and to love this great God of salvation. Amen.